Welcome to Spot on Safety, the program designed for safety professionals. Spot on Safety is brought to you by iWorkWise, providing safety knowledge when you need it. For more information about iWorkWise, go to iWorkWise.com. Welcome to Spot on Safety, Episode 12, Hazard Communications, with your hosts, Amy Does and Dan Smiley. Hey, good morning, Amy. Welcome back from all of your travels. It's the first time we've done this in a while, and I'm super excited to be back. Me too. One of the things that I thought we might touch on today uh, is the HAZCOM standard. This standard's been around since 1984. It's one of the older standards, but one of the most violated. It generates hundreds of thousands of dollars in fines annually and is one of the most misunderstood. So could you touch base on what the HAZCOM standard is to start off with? You bet, Dan. I'm pretty excited about this topic because lately I've started to get questions on it again. I think it's a good time for a review. And also, when I'm auditing facilities or um, working with them in their programs, even, even companies that do a pretty good job with safety um, seem like they miss uh, some of the requirements of this standard. And there are a few things that take some ongoing babysitting. Like, you really have to have some things integrated into, your, into the way your company runs in order to actually comply with this. So it would be really nice to stem some of those fines and... and uh, reduce the amount OSHA is making on the standard um, by, by integrating this more in, the, uh, in the, the way your company works. So there are basically five main elements of HAZCOM. It's a pretty straightforward standard, much more so than, than some of OSHA's other ones. Um, the first thing a company needs to have is a chemical inventory. And OSHA requires that this inventory of chemicals, which is basically a list, um, has to be current at all times. So there's the first hurdle, um, is whenever a new chemical is ordered or brought on board a vessel or into a facility, someone has to, it has to trigger somebody's mind to go add that to the chemical list. So there has to be kind of a receiving procedure or, you know, a limitation on who buys chemicals. If you just go to Home Depot, or some store or you know some hardware supply and buy whatever you want off the shelf and, and one time you got never sees that's made by Permatech and the next time you got never sees that's made by Loctite or something you're gonna have a problem because it is uh, manufacturer specific so with probably 700 plus thousand uh, different chemicals on the market uh, if you don't have a system to keep an accurate inventory of what chemicals are at your facility, you're going to have a problem. So is that everything? If I you know, bring in uh, Joy Soap instead of Dawn Soap, do I? It's everything, but, you know, we talked about before in our earlier podcast, you know, consumer products. Um, so it would not include food, drugs, or cosmetics or consumer products that uh, aren't used more than a regular consumer would use them. But if you have housekeeping people and their job is to clean the bathroom every day, that's probably a little more than you would do um, at home. More than I would do at home. <laughs> Way more than <laughs> what I would do. So, you know, I think you kind of have this slippery slope. So everybody has to kind of decide that on their own. 
um, so a case can't be made against them that they're using it more than a consumer. But yeah, I mean, if you have housekeeping people, um, then all of that stuff has to make it on this list. And to me, you know, the practic practical way to look at it is also kind of just restrict what chemicals people can bring into your workplace. I mean, if you if you are going to use dish soap, I mean, use Joy soap all the time, or Dawn soap, or palm olive. But going back and forth between all of them, or you know, having a bunch of different degreasers, and you can buy whatever brand willy-nilly. You can do it, um, but you have to be pretty tight on on how you manage them and get all your paperwork in order, and it's a big pain. So if it was me, I would, you know, make everybody pick the kind they liked and keep buying that. And if later the price is too high, switch to something else. Um, but it, there's a lot of babysitting just with the first re major requirement of Hascom, which is to always maintain a current um, list of chemicals that are in the workplace. Okay, well, what's uh, element two? I've got my chemical inventory. I think it's up to date. What do I do now? Um, the next thing you have to do is get an MSDS or a material safety data sheet for each chemical that you have on your list. So that you can do pretty easily online now. There's always some, some things that are hard to find. Um, the distributor of the chemical, even if it is Home Depot, is required to give, give you one um, or get one to you. So you have to do some legwork and make sure you have a material safety data sheet for each chemical on your list, one way or the other. Okay, so I've got that. I put it in my book. It's where everybody can see it. What do I do now? Uh, you have to make sure that every chemical in your workplace is labeled. So if the, the original label that came with the chemical is always fine, but if the label falls off or gets wet or uh, paint drips all over it, you're going to have a problem. So you have to make sure that every container is labeled. And that goes too, if you, if you take something from a big container and put it in a spray bottle, even those little pump-up uh, hose sprayers that you would use to spray stuff in your garden um, have to be labeled. And I've seen quite a few citations actually this year from those pump sprayers. Um, and whenever somebody takes a chemical and transfers it to another container, that new container has to be labeled. And this is a little tricky too, because the requirements for this, it's kind of one of the only areas that I've noticed that consistently varies from state to state. state the states that have state plans um, often require a little more to be on the label than federal OSHA. So what you need is the name of the chemical and a hazard warning, for instance, flammable or corrosive or acid or something. Sometimes you can put a name of a chemical um, and it, it doesn't make sense without the hazard warning. I mean something like gasoline I think is universally understood to be flammable but a lot of these other chemicals you could look at a bottle of clear liquid and it would say the name and you wouldn't really know that it's going to eat your hand away. Um, so it, it is helpful to have the hazard warning. And you can, I'm a big fan of writing on containers with a sharpie or some marker. Um, when you buy the aftermarket replacement labels, that, that's kind of neat. It adds an expense. Yeah, it's another step. You got to go get the label, put it on. Sometimes that gets wet and falls off. Um, there's kind of a pain with that. The one thing it does, though, is help you remember that you need the hazard warning. And often they just have little boxes to check on the label. Um, and a lot of states require that you also list on the label target organs. So those are your big. Bit, well, your big two, which is the name of the chemical and the hazard warning, and then some states add this target organ thing. So you, for a corrosive material, you check skin. 
meaning you know don't get it on your eyes or you know for for other things like solvents you might check kidneys or liver or central nervous system so the the aftermarket labels kind of help you remember to put all the info on the, on the container um, but nothing's wrong with a sharpie either you just have to to write have what's on that container and what's required by that state or whatever jurisdiction you're in OSHA wise okay great because I carry big sharpies everywhere I go so that's handy perfect so okay we've got our labeling what's next uh, the next thing is training uh, clearly you have to train people so they uh, know what an MSDS is and know where they are um, basically how, how to use them uh, in general and also the hazards of the chemicals they're working with and you know it's not uncommon for a workplace to have two or three hundred chemicals when when you make your list it's pretty amazing how long it gets and doesn't mean you have to train somebody uh, to the very particulars of every chemical in your facility but it does mean you have to train them overall and and knowing you know reading the label and wearing protective gear that's that's required on there or is appropriate to that chemical knowing where the MSDS's are and that kind of thing so um, it's not necessarily chemical specific training that they're requiring but kind of how to get information when you want it um, so you in the, in the training is initial it's not an annual training requirement it's just train them and if something changes then train again so once you kind of know how the system works you're, you're good to go now for engineering types or, or people who are going to use uh, just a ton of different things I think it's also good to um, train people in the major groups like even the, like the DOT classification type groupings where you know if something's explosive what that means if something's flammable what that means they're corrosive or combustible kind of what the differences are between those and so that way the label will mean more to them and the MSDS will mean more to those people and then they can do some of the education themselves as needed when they're using a particular chemical so you would require that they use it properly and follow the label instructions um, and then you kind of teach them how to how to read those things so basically you just need some good initial training um, on how your program works and how to use all this information uh, with production people um, in, in manufacturing facilities and, and that type of thing that we that I work with a lot uh, sometimes you just train them really well in the chemicals they're actually using so you say with this chemical you need you need rain gear gloves and goggles and with this chemical you just need gloves with this chemical you don't need anything don't drink it you know um, and then you know they're only using three or four chemicals they only have access to three or four things and they they know what's important okay so we conduct training I guess you could sum it up by saying as appropriate for the jobs that, that people are doing some yeah. people need more and some people need less everyone needs to know how the HASCON system works right but then the specific training so what's the fifth element the fifth element is non-routine tasks uh, that's that's OSHA speak uh, for okay you've done your training and you kind of teach people as appropriate to their job category and maybe you trained your production people in how to use their cleaning chemicals and things like that but now you've got a two-week turnaround or a little downtime at your facility and they're gonna do some painting well the painting and uh, solvents and thinners um, those things might be quite a bit different than what they're normally dealing with maybe they have to acid etch 
some concrete. They're going to do a little maintenance kind of stuff. Um, when their jobs change or when the chemicals that they use change, you need to make sure that they, they are uh, educated with that change. So maybe the training before did, did cover that, those things to an extent that it's no problem making the switch. But if it didn't um, and you bring in some new hazards or you're doing some non-routine tasks, you would have to rethink your, your, what training you had, you had done to make sure that your people are still protected from the hazards of those chemicals. Um, for that non-routine task. And document. Yeah. Document, document, document. Yeah, it's a good idea to uh, to document it. Yeah. So, that and it helps keep you on top of making sure no one falls through the cracks and that kind of thing. I mean, documentation, a lot of people, um, it's used for OSHA to prove that you've done it. Um, and I'm not a huge fan of it. If you didn't document, it never happened. I think if it happened, it happened. And if you document it, it can be proof that it happened, or maybe you just kind of checked your boxes and signed off on it, and it didn't really happen very well anyway. So, but OSHA does look for documentation, and also it helps you say, hey, we missed so-and-so. You know, he wasn't here the day we did that training, and going back over my records, I see that he, he missed out or weaseled out of the training three times in a row, and, you know, it kind of helps that way. So, anyway, it's a good idea. Any last comments before we wrap this one up? No, I think if you can manage to do those things in your workplace, you're doing pretty darn good. I mean, right, right with a Sharpie on any containers that are, are transferred or where the label's falling off, make sure you have an MSDS for everything you use and do a physical inventory and keep good control over what's coming into your workplace. Um, if you do those things, then you're not going to be in violation. Um, so good, good luck. Thank you, Amy. So, hazard communication. One of the most violated standards. If you spent time focusing on this, you'd go a long way towards helping your company's bottom line. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Spot on Safety. If you would like to ask a question or leave a comment, you can email us. The address is spotonsafety at iWorkWise.com.